Future Sense is a podcast edited from the radio show of the same name, broadcast on Bay FM in Byron Bay, Australia at bayfm.org. Hosted by Nick Jeans and well-known international futurist Steve McDonald, Future Sense provides a fresh, deep analysis of global trends and emergent technologies. How can we identify the layers of growth personally, socially, and globally? What are the signs missed, the truths being denied? Science, history, politics, psychology, ancient civilizations, alien contact, the new psychedelic revolution, cryptocurrency, and other disruptive and distributed technologies, and much more. This is Future Sense. You're now tuned to Future Sense on BayFM through to 11 o'clock with Nick Jeans and my co-hosts. Steve McDonald. Good morning, Steve. Good morning, Nick. We're fresh back from the bush, aren't we? We're fresh back from the bush. We're going to be talking today about the underground. You might have, the underground is a word. You might have noticed today, if you've read the newspapers, if you've been out in a cafe, that uh, all the Australian papers across the board, all the Murdoch press and the previous Fairfax press, now owned by Channel 9, of course, and other press around Australia, have come underneath one banner called the Right to Know, Australia's Right to Know Coalition, and a redacted all their front pages. So you pick up the Sydney Morning Herald, for example, and most of the front page text is uh, is blacked out as a protest against the legislation of, that is uh, trying to uh, destroy press free freedoms. So that's the that's the notion. And I guess that sort of triggered, in a way, our theme party today, and also our experience away over the weekend. Yeah, I mean, it didn't really trigger it because we were talking about our theme <laughs> last night, but it certainly fits nicely. <laughs> it's very <laughs> synchronistic. So uh, we're going to, and for me, I mean, the the word, of course, redacting the word in this way is, is a fascinating thing. And I think of the word spell, the word is a spell. And the words that you read in the newspapers, the words that are printed, the way that we speak, the way that we uh, report, the way that we give uh, some meaning to our experiences through the word is like a spell. And when you black that spell out, black that word out, you kind of change the spell. It's a bit of a my take on that this morning. I guess it becomes a dark spell when a it's blacked spell, out, doesn't it? Precisely. Yeah. yeah. Old wizardry of some sort or other. Mm. Um, so we're going to dip into this theme today. We are indeed. Mm. And uh, it's uh, reported in, I guess it's probably been reported in every newspaper today, but mm. I'm looking at the ABC's coverage. And isn't yeah. it wonderful that we have a government-sponsored broadcaster in this country <laughs> which can rebel against uh, government policy? I, I love that. Yeah, I love that, that freedom. It's it's wonderful, really. We should, mm. uh, we should appreciate that. Indeed. And community broadcasters like ourselves, of course, have a certain degree of freedom, but we don't have, in, in a sense, or arguably the same sort of power, although... There are about, I think, four to five million Australians who listen to community radio in a given week, which is a lot of people. So don't underestimate the power of this station or community radio generally. That, that's right. You better play that little thing about the broadcasters not being a doctor and don't do this at home. That, uh, that just to make sure. <laughs> yeah, I'll get to that when we get into more, more darker topics as we go forward. That's right. And we're talking about the underground movement today, various underground movements and their role in cultural revolution. So if you've uh, got any thoughts about the underground, maybe you belong to the underground. Mm. Then text in, let us know, ask some questions. And of course, there's many undergrounds at any one time, indeed. And we started that today. Well, not started. We actually thought about uh, this theme last night, uh, where we are, were away for the weekend. We'll come back to that too. At a very interesting underground event over the weekend, um, which um, gave us a number of ideas. But we're talking today, beginning about uh, the redacted newspapers around Australia at the moment, in uh, in a revolution itself against uh, the uh, the federal government's coalition government's uh, new laws uh, that uh, seem to be repressing um, the freedom of the press. 
Yeah, very interesting development, and it's it's been triggered uh, in part by some Australian federal police raids on uh, journalists and and media outlets, which came from some uh, uh, classifying information being leaked to the media around uh, potential war crimes committed in uh, Afghanistan and Iraq, and. Uh, there was a, a strong media reaction, as you can imagine, to these police raids, and it raised questions about the whole process of um, whistleblowers having the right to to leak information and uh, the legalities of that, and and also it, it's the end result of a long process, which uh, it goes back at least to Australia signing up for the U.S. War on Terror and the various uh, changes to law that have come out of that uh, for our own safety, of course. <laughs> Uh, as, as they always claim, and uh, and or in the national interest, which is John Howard's favourite saying. Oh yes, yeah. oh yes, uh, national uh, interest, nationalism. And uh, the thing is that uh, these laws have been. I think you said Nick, there's been something like 75 changes to legislation mm, since 2002. There've been 75 pieces of federal legislation intended to protect the public from national security threats, but that have found new ways from stopping the public's right to know what the federal government is doing. That's right. And, and in these last days of the modern scientific industrial era, we need to remember that that particular mindset, the uh, the mindset of this uh, fifth layer of consciousness or the modern scientific uh, way of being human, thinks that information is power. Yeah. And so people who are in power always want to withhold information. They always want to know more than you do. And they always want to say, no, you don't need to know that. I, only I can know that. And so I often use the example of a, a poker game where people hold their cards secretly close to their chest. And if you know what card someone else is holding, then of course it collapses the entire game and the power structure associated with that game. You can't have a winner if everybody knows what, uh, what the cards are. So any opportunity to gain power by the restriction of information is seen as an advantage. And in these uh, days when uh, the the control of society is slowly slipping from the fingers of our governments and authorities, then they are getting desperate to hold on to that power and mm -hmm. to gain more power by restricting information and telling us that we don't need to know things. And, and what a wonderful protest by uh, the media here yes. today where the newspapers have blacked out their front pages. And I might, I'll tweet a, a photo of mm -hmm. that uh, on, on Twitter very shortly on the Future Sense Twitter account so everyone could see that. Mm -hmm. um, and it's wonderful to see uh, different media outlets who normally would be competing with each other exactly. working together in what they're calling the Right to Know Coalition, of which, as I mentioned at the start of the show, that our government broadcaster, the ABC, is a member, which is so amazing and fantastic that they can get away with that kind of thing, even though the government's paying them to do it. <laughs> and even that. though many yeah. of us, of course, on the so supposedly progressive side of politics would uh, always damn the Murdoch press, it's the Murdoch press who are also in this. The Murdoch press has also redacted his newspapers. Very interesting indeed, yeah. isn't it? Very indeed. interesting. Signs of change. Mm, signs of change. And uh, what have you got there? You've got a yeah, well, there is, or something about mm, this. Well, there are, there is the, the organisation is Australia's right to know. This is all the media outlets in Australia who are members of this. And there are six uh, right to know reforms that have been sought. And these are, number one, the right to contest any kind of search warrant on journalists or news organisations before the warrant is issued. Two, a law change to ensure public sector whistleblowers are adequately protected. Three, a new regime that limits which documents can be marked secret. Four, review of freedom of information laws. Five, that journalists be exempt from national security laws enacted over the past seven years that currently can put them in jail for doing their job. And lastly, to reform, to, uh, reform defamation laws.
Yeah, so there's strong, there's strong requests, but pretty reasonable, that's for sure. Absolutely, and it implies a misuse of the classification of uh, mm. restricted documents as well, because yeah, right. uh, again, as I mentioned previously on the show, from my military background, you know, I was always taught that the security classification of a document was there to predict the source of the information, not the information itself. Uh, and, and what we're seeing now is... Uh, <laughs> Allegedly, things being classified to protect uh, the government <laughs> uh, from uh, from getting into mm. trouble and, well, and losing favour. The ABC's managing director, David Anderson, has said that Australia is at risk of becoming the world's most secretive democracy. We've seen the public's right to know slowly erode over the past two decades with the introduction of laws that make it more difficult for people to speak up when they see wrongdoing and for journalists to report these stories. Yeah, it's, it's big. It's very big. It, it's very big. It's very big. And, uh, you know, another example of, of this kind of behaviour is, uh, as we mentioned on last week's show, was, is the uh, offshore detention of refugees by the Australian government and the restriction of access, mm. uh, prohibiting the media from visiting them or, or covering mm. you know, face-to-face what's going on there. And if you're at the Byron Bay Film Festival at all, which is current at the moment, or you see a film uh, outside of uh, that time, there's a lovely little locally produced, or Australian produced, but it is locally produced film called Manus, which uh, which gives a completely different face to the, what we hear, particularly from the current government regarding uh, refugees in our country in uh, Manus Island and the other, uh, other localities. Indeed. Uh, so uh, maybe we'll take a break and we'll come back and we'll talk a little bit bit about the definition of mm. uh, the underground mm. or counterculture and where those uh, terms have come from. Because mm. what we're saying here, of course, is this current redaction today is, is in a sense, a, it's, a, it's a rebellion and it is uh, not an underground movement, but certainly perhaps you could argue coming from various underground countercultural movements around the world um, in response to various um, policies and uh, directions of, of governments and uh, society and culture, generally speaking, and it's, we're seeing those influences moving through culture now in uh, various it's, ways. It's definitely counterculture. It's pushback against mainstream culture, yeah. for sure. You're tuned to Future Sense with Nick Jeans and Steve McDonald. Engage, emerge, activate, and spiral up. You are tuned to Future Sense here on BFM 99.9. It's 9.34 with Steve McDonald and myself, Nick Jeans. We're talking a little bit, or we're leaning into uh, the notion of counterculture underground and what that means, and starting with um, revolution, I guess. And as you can hear, we've been playing some revolutionary songs. That's think- right. And, uh, I don't know about leaning into. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a phrase I borrowed from a speaker we were listening to I, yesterday. I think we're I'll swimming back. in it. I think, I think we're swimming in it. Yes, revolution. Music always has been revolutionary, certainly since the 60s, and arguably jazz was highly revolutionary earlier than that, among other forms of music often associated with uh, with uh, psychedelic substances like cannabis. Uh, jazz was um, clearly associated there and, and uh, demonised because of that association with particularly African-American jazz at that time. That's right. And I think, you know, it goes back a long way. You've got the troubadour traditions, yes. you know, the, like the travelling teachers teaching different ways to live using music and yes, poetry indeed. and those sorts of things. Mm. And culture itself is an interesting word. And if you think of the, the roots of that, of course, culture comes from the same root as cult. And you could say, as at a bit of a stretch, I think that culture is is actually uh, a cult. Uh, one's culture, in, in to some degree, and it depends on, I guess, how much you identify with it. And that's perhaps one of the issues: is how much we identify with our culture, embed ourselves there, and don't allow ourselves to be more open to something other than that. Yeah, mm. I guess uh, culture is is a cult with you are. 
<laughs> cult you, you are. are. You, you are, are a cult. Added. So once you are added to the cult, then it becomes culture because <laughs> you're part of it, right? It's good. Yeah. Well, uh, as we as we as you probably know, you educated people out there, culture comes from the really from the idea of tilling soil. It comes from agriculture. It does. That's yeah. Yeah. It mm. emerged from. Uh, from late uh, Middle Ages, English, French, with Latin roots, mm. and meaning a place tilled or tilling, and tilling, of course, being like uh, hoeing or, or digging up the soil, making it ready for planting. Uh, so, so it uh, it implies a, a field of possibility, a garden bed where something can sprout. Yeah, and I think that's a very appropriate use of the word underground. Now, even though that figurative sense of cultivation through education and systematic improvement and refinement of the mind and these kind of ideas that that not literal sense of the agriculture was not common before the 19th century so it's fairly recent use of the idea that we we grow a, a way of being a value system and so on from uh, from the ground up absolutely and, and you know everyday language you can hear that connection even though prob- most people probably don't even realize the connection to the roots of the word culture mm. but people talk about grass roof Grassroots roots, yeah. movements, you know, and sprouting of new ideas and yes, sort of exactly, things. very, very interesting. Very interesting that uh, yeah, really, when you start thinking about that, that metaphor continues and it's very big, of course, in the grassroots green movement and other movements, political movements around the world. It is absolutely yeah, and it's interesting also to distinguish between counterculture mm. and other subcultures. So you'll always get pockets of different values within society. Uh, where the, the dominant mainstream values are regarded as mainstream culture and then some of the, the pockets of different values can be remnants of old value systems and one example of that would be something like, for example, uh, the mafia from, from Italy, which of course is spread yeah. all around the world and it's, it's, which means, of course, family. Uh, and it's a, a remnant from older value systems, particularly purple and red. You know, purple being literally the family or the tribe, yes. uh, and red being the the um, aggressive, militaristic, uh, militaristic angle on that. Which mm. it's a natural evolution, of course, for for that purple tribalism mm-hmm. to to develop into that. And that's certainly a case with the mafia. So the mafia wouldn't be seen as a counterculture. It's not a culture that's threatening to and about to overthrow the mainstream, but it certainly is an example of a subculture. Yeah, subculture. Yeah. Mm. And then uh, throughout history, there are other examples, like if we go uh, further up the the spiral of evolution to the authoritarian, the agricultural era, that was a a communally oriented way of, of being human and uh, typified by structured societies and uh, structured organisations, and there we saw the the rise of like structured secret societies. Yes, uh, yes. Examples, um, you know, like the Freemasons, the Knights Templar, and those sorts of things, who were actually uh, really counterculture because they were examples of emerging new values, and they would they were definitely trying to influence and overthrow the dominant value system at the time. Although both of those examples, of course, come from uh, arguably deeper roots in our prehistory. Even uh, the Masons and uh, Knights Templars and wisdoms that we uh, that are still secret, uh, because perhaps they were once sacred, and that that equivalence between secret and sacred still exists a lot. I think and is dismantling to some degree. So a lot of those old secrets are becoming are coming forth into a more culturally acceptable place, arguably. Yeah, absolutely, and I, there are good reasons for that. I mean, at the the heart of the the ancient mysteries uh, is a very practical uh, motivation for restricting information in that people needed to be prepared for deeper understandings and particularly with altered state work you know if people are exposed to uh, a radical 
absolutely radical perspective. Uh, it can upset their their own values anchors and leave them in a very difficult place, even to the point of, of uh, sending people insane if you know what they're exposed to is so radically different to what they thought was real or actual, yes. then they just can't uh, integrate it. So, so for that reason, a lot of those uh, secret teachings were restricted to those who had been prepared and who were ready for mm. taking the next step to a new understanding. Do you think that's still appropriate now? I mean, it's very interesting that because it's clear what you're saying is exactly right. But is that the case now, you think, with because I, I feel like those secrets are now, A, they're more available due, due to our technology and the way that we are now in, on the planet, but also because perhaps we're more ready for some of those deeper, uh, com- more complex secrets. I, I do agree. I think you're right. And as we've, as humanity, when I say we, I mean the whole of humanity has progressed up this spiral of evolution. Mm. We have uh, opened our understanding, expanded our understanding, uh, expanded our sensory awareness. And so somebody in the mainstream today would be, you know, at, at, in terms of their values and their understanding of, of reality, their frameworks for understanding reality, mm. they would have been equal to um, you know some of the high initiates way way back in history yeah, right. in terms of their understanding yeah. and their the, particularly yeah. the structure of their value systems and so uh, I think people are more ready now but I also still think uh, there is a need for um, structured processes of education and development in a, in a stepped or staged approach to the revelation mm. you know the, the revealing of uh, mm. deep truths interesting and of course, change, social change, uh, is often seen as um, is incremental or just sort of, you know, predictably moves along at a certain linear pace. But uh, it's not really the case because once in a while, outbursts of resistance break open a world of possibility. I'm quoting here, creating unforeseen opportunities for transformation, including, uh, well, indeed, according to a leading theorist of disruptive power, Francis Fox Piven, the great moments of equalizing reform in, for example, American political history, securing labor rights, expanding the vote, or creating social safety nets have been directly related to surges of widespread defiance. And unlike elected officials who preoccupy themselves with policies considered practical and attainable within the political climate at the moment, social movements change the political weather. Yeah, that's true. And, and this is how change happens. You know, it's not a linear thing. Mm. The, the human consciousness and society, you know, everything that comes out of human consciousness really is a, essentially a complex adaptive system. And complex adaptive systems don't change in a linear fashion. Mm. They fluctuate wildly. Uh, you know, they go through periods of stability. And then when life conditions change and they need to adapt, then that adaptive process involves fluctuations. Yeah. And if you were th- talking about like a, a um, scientific or mathematical graph, you know, fluctuations both up and down or in, in, towards both poles. Mm. And that's, uh, that's what we're seeing in society at the moment. And, and of course, we're going through change, uh, not just at a societal level, but at a planetary level. And so we're seeing the same kind of dynamic in our climate as well, where we're getting peaks of hot, peaks of cold. And uh, people are guessing, you know, on at the linear trajectory of that, but uh, not in a very educated way, in my opinion. Mm. You're tuned to Future Sense. It's 9.43 here. We'll take a break. We're going to be talking a bit more about some of the... Uh local uh, experiences we've had recently with some of the underground too which is uh, rather important and that's like this is a, this is a revolutionary edition of future sense it is indeed you're resonating right now on future sense with steve mcdonald and nick jeans uh we are talking about uh, counterculture about revolution about the underground through history and in relationship to uh, the evolution of uh, of our psychological development our, our new value systems that are emerging or how value systems emerge on the planet and how these countercultures factor into that to some degree. 
That's, and we're, of course, right in the middle of a, another renaissance right yeah. now. And um, this is the way that values change when we go through paradigm shifts is uh, you get these little bubbles of different thinking that crop up mm. as as essentially uh, subcultures, counter, countercultures in particular, mm. because they're opposing the dominant culture and, and they represent something new, a new way, which has emerged out of the growing complexity of a society. And looking back in history, uh, if we look back to the previous major paradigm shift that humanity went through, which was from the agricultural era into the scientific industrial era, there were little waves of uh, Renaissance happening mm. way, way back. You know, I'm, I'm uh, looking back to um, some of the like the, the Renaissance of the 12th century, which was yes. an earlier one, not the European Renaissance, yeah. but, but an earlier one. And then uh, on the... Uh, on the web reading about that uh, it's mentioning even earlier waves going back into the 700s and the 800s in France waves of new thinking that represented very very early stage scientific industrial thinking new perspectives that were particularly uh, individually oriented rather than communally oriented and breaking out of the the rigid uh, and very conformist structures of the agricultural authoritarian era uh, and uh, so, so right back um, as early as the the seven hundreds, maybe even earlier, there were little waves coming through where little uh, crops of of new culture were were sort of uh, growing up and then also subsiding because they didn't have the the momentum or the the uh, popularity to really sustain themselves. Mm. But each time, I'm sure they made some impact, some small impact on dominant society uh, before they faded away again. Mm. And then, yes. of course, uh, there there were. Uh, other incidents or other uh, occasions mentioned in the 800s and 900s and then we have this uh, renaissance of the, the 12th century mm. um, which was at the time of the high middle ages which was including your social political and economic transformations uh, and intellectual revitalization and strong philosophical and scientific roots and, and this is at a time when mm. we were pushing back against the conformity and the deference to higher authority uh, where it, which was really about an empowerment of the individual and you know allowing people to believe that they could discover the truth themselves they didn't have to rely on whoever the authority was but you know be it the earthly authority or heavenly authority yes. to uh, to lay down the rules well of course a, a lot of the as you're saying a lot of the um, the teachings of the time came from the great religions and uh, but those texts at that time were basically only available to a very, very small elite number of people who could read them, who had access to that to that information. So the rest of it was kind of secondhand, this is the truth, you follow this and that's what you're going to get and so That's forth. right, and you know it's the truth, cause, cause because he, he or she, shed, she said so. Right? Well, usually he said <laughs> you, so. Yeah, but it, we're, I mean, this is not to forget that that agricultural era was right. uh, communal, mm. Uh, mm. Therefore, somewhat feminine, somewhat more matriarchal in places, flavored and themed era. Mm. So, mm. Uh, we shouldn't lose track of, of the fact that there were queens, you know, ruling countries, queendoms, I guess queendoms. you would call it, <laughs> at the time, mm. uh, and um, and then pushing forward in history, we had uh, things like the the Protestant Protestant Reformation of the Catholic Church, which was a, which was yeah. a little rebellion against the authoritarianism. Mm of the Catholic Church uh, by Martin Luther in Germany. And uh, one of his big things was translating the Bible, the Christian Bible, from Latin into German so it could be more available to the general public yes, and they yes, could actually understand right. what the priests were saying <laughs> in these and, religious And start to masses. broaden the mind and start to contest that very stuff there for. That's right. Yeah. So it was a process of empowering the individual yes. to understand and to make decisions for themselves. Mm. 
and then we progressed further. And these are all waves of emerging scientific industrial thinking and values that were appearing throughout history. And the waves were getting slowly, they were getting bigger and stronger and washing further up the beach of change mm-hmm. uh, as the tide was coming well, in. Did on you the just make that up? I, no, oh, no, fantastic. I, said, I said it before. Uh, <laughs> as the tide was coming in on the scientific industrial era and uh, romanticism uh, was an artistic, literally, uh, sorry, an artistic, literary, musical and intellectual movement that originated in Europe towards the end of the 18th century and, and sort of peaked between 1800 and 1850 it was characterized by its emphasis on emotion and individualism as well as glorification of all the past and nature preferring the medieval rather than the classical and it was partly a reaction to the industrial revolution so Mm. um, this is very interesting because it's uh, this regressive value search uh, as we know is a characteristic of any paradigm shift and there are echoes of this romanticism in the current shift beyond the scientific industrial into the humanistic and, and network-centric relativistic era that's emerging right now. And we've seen the same themes, which are you know a flashback to the past, uh, seeing the past as being better and desirable and even something that we should go back to rather than uh, what's emerging. Yeah. Uh, and... Uh, and even as the new revolution happens, you know, the, as these new uh, countercultures grow up, there's there's pushback against them as well. And in, in this romantic era, there was a pushback against the emerging industrial revolution, and uh, and you know we're seeing pushback now um, by elements of the mainstream, of course, against the emerging culture mm. that, that's coming through right now. Well, Victor Hugo, the French poet, novelist, and dramatist of that very time of the romantic movement, was fam- famously said this: "An idea before its time must wait." for no one is crazy enough to grasp it at the moment that it's occurring. And an idea whose time has passed must hope for a future in which it will be needed again. But an idea whose time has come is a force. It changes the world. It alters reality. It's unstoppable. And I think that that very notion at that time probably was something that hadn't really been declared before and became uh, you know, a, a statement of, of, I guess, of hope that you could actually shift and change things. I think that, that expansion of the human capacity to think that way in a movement is interesting at that time. It is very interesting too. And that, you know, the, the earlier uh, Renaissance, particularly in the 12th century, part of that was the invention of the printing press where all of a sudden we had another way of communicating apart from word of mouth. So that in itself was a radical shift mm. and, and that uh, gave power to and enabled you know, the change that was to come. Uh, then the, the European Renaissance, Renaissance, which most people would, would be aware of, mm. uh, then rolled out between the 14th and 17th centuries. And this was uh, an emergence of the scientific uh, way of viewing the world. And, uh, and of course, there was big pushback from authorities against that and some people arrested and burnt and poisoned etc for uh, speaking things that weren't according to the the higher authorities uh, list of what to say and what to believe sounds a bit familiar today with the redacted press and response to the suppression of uh, our current um, masters that's right yeah yeah they say uh, um, what do they say history doesn't repeat but it sure does echo yeah uh, and then, of course, you know, through the, the Renaissance that led us into the, the scientific and industrial revolutions, which were really uh, major, major waves of the emerging scientific industrial paradigm, which, which was strong enough and structured enough to actually uh, allow uh, its emergence as the dominant mindset yes. uh, globally. Yeah. 
And so, uh, yeah, should we uh, take a break? Yeah, I think uh, I think that's a, that's come a back. good uh, foundation. We'll come back and talk uh, next uh, specifically about the current paradigm shift mm. and the role of uh, underground movements mm. and counterculture there. You've been listening to Future Sense, a podcast edited from the radio show of the same name, broadcast on Bay FM in Byron Bay, Australia, at bayfm.org. Future Sense is available on iTunes and SoundCloud. The future is here now. It's just not evenly distributed.